Hello, and welcome to DOD Secure, the podcast discussing hard-hitting national industrial security program issues. We tackle security clearances, insider threat, classification, security training, and more. I'm your host, security discipline and author and publisher, Jeff Bennett. This podcast is sponsored by SecurityClearanceDefenseLawyer.com and attorney Ron Sixtus. Ron consults in all area of security clearance concerns, and he can be reached by phone at 256-398-3316 or through his website. By Security First and Associates who provide FSO, CSSO consulting and training services. Hiring a full-time FSO can be expensive. A less expensive alternative is to use our managed security services. Our team of security professionals can help to minimize risk by assisting with many vital services from fingerprinting and background checks to DSS security vulnerability assessments. We also offer JPASS, FSO, and CSSO training. If you don't see the services you need, just ask. Security is our life. And by RedBikePublishing.com, security resources and books. Get your copy of NISPOM and ITAR in training to download and present to cleared employees. Hello again and welcome to DOD Secure. And I'm your host, Jeff Bennett, and this is episode five. And we are continuing the interview with Joe and Terry Farkas of the Management Analysis Network. We continue our discussions on operation security, and today's focus is on communication strategies. All right, once again, welcome to ClearCast, and I'm your host, Jeff Bennett, and I'm with Terry and Joe Farkas. How are you? Welcome to the show. Good, Jeff. How are you doing? Oh, really good. For those of you who don't know, um, I've been working with Joe and Terry for many years, and Joe has given me a lot of my training on risk assessments and OPSEC. And so we're going to talk to you today during this program about those topics. Um, We used to work together in another organization, and now you two are on your own with your own company. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, Well, we uh, started up our own company uh, several years ago, about uh, six years ago or so, um, and we uh, provide support to uh, various customers in operational security, information operations, uh, communication strategies, technology protection, more of the risk management aspects of uh, protection. Um, and that's what we've been doing for, for what, six years now? Yeah, I think we provide or try to provide a holistic kind of approach to yeah. uh, security. Yeah, so. exactly. Okay, well, what is a communication strategy? Uh, a communication strategy is a tool that uh, programs can use or, or companies, whatever, whoever is the, the focal. But for us, we do a lot of support with the Department of Defense in terms of research and development acquisition programs. So, you know, building the next gen Stargate or the next gen aircraft or whatnot. And uh, what people are naturally going to 
do is inquire about that. And you're going to get media that inquires. You're going to get people who look at open source intelligence. And we know from a foreign intelligence perspective, they really uh, rely heavily on what's published from an open source perspective. So the, the question is, you know, how do we talk about the program to meet the requirements to convey information to Congress, to oversight, to others, and to tell the good news story to the American people about how their tax dollars are being spent uh, to aid in national security? But at the same time, keep back information that uh, is very beneficial and could uh, help an adversary or a competitor uh, capitalize on that information and start to, through deductive reasoning, figure out where we're going, what we're doing, and how we're doing it. So the communication strategy is something we develop that uh, kind of sets the rules of engagement for how you deal with the media or contracting or other elements. it's got left and right limits, you know, things you want to emphasize, things you don't want to emphasize. And then it has structured talking points and messages that you want to reiterate over and over again and areas that you want to avoid. So we put that together. We coordinate that with the program office. We coordinate that with uh, PAL. public affairs for sure. And then uh, we, we uh, enable people to go forward and, and uh, talk about their program but at the same time feel comfortable that they're not going to disclose uh, any information that may not be classified, but still may be uh, significantly of value. Yeah. So, I mean, I was going to say, uh, that sounds interesting. Um, I was an FSO once and I worked in security before and my um, DD form 254 um, said, if I want to share anything, I just have to go through the PEO. And also that, you know, I know not to talk about something if it's secret or if it's classified. So what's the gap that the um, that the uh, communication strategy might fill in? Well, the, it's a really good question, Jeff. The, 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 the gap is it, it, you're you're like me. We're a little bit older. Um, and we remember the, the show $100,000 Pyramid. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you look at it from a perspective, if people know something's classified, they won't talk about it. But they still may relate facts about it. So let's say there's a term, and this term is classified. I'm going to mention other terms, like bark, fetch, and wag. You have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about, correct? Or... It sounds like an animal. <laughs> kind of like, a, like a dog. Like a dog. Yeah. But I can't say dog because dog is classified. And, and the thing is this, as we start to try and navigate around those areas and we'll say, I'm not going to talk about that, but I'll talk about this, we may in fact be revealing information. So what we're doing with the communication strategy is looking at what is it you're saying and from there... Will that information disclose aspects through deductive reasoning? People aren't dumb. And when you deal with people from other countries who are scientists and engineers, and they're bound by physics just like we are. Telling them one thing could take them well down the path, even though it may not be classified mm-hmm. into itself. Well, I think that gives a little bit of freedom what you're talking about. One thing I like about you, too, is you tell good stories and analogies to help us understand what you're talking about. That's one thing I've always appreciated. And one thing that I've noticed when I was new on a program or new to a company is if I didn't know what to say, I froze. I'm one of those guys, you stick a camera or microphone in my face, I'm going to freeze because I don't know what I can say and what I can't say. And in the Army, they always tell us, you're not allowed to say no comment. You're just allowed to say, I'll talk to my PAO, for example. But what you're doing kind of gives me freedom. I know what to talk about. Well, if you have a structured approach, you have structured themes, you know what your boundaries are, Mm -hmm. 
then what you've got is consistency in communications. So Jeff is saying the same thing that I'm saying, and Terry's saying the same thing we're saying. And so the more people hear the same message over and over, the more it becomes ingrained. And that works on the flip side, too. If someone says something, you know, leader of another country or general or a program manager, and then suddenly someone else says something different, you start to go, wait a second, it's not consistent. And because it's not consistent, then are they trying to potentially mislead? So we want to, again, not tell lies. What we're trying to do is bound the discussion so we focus on those things that are more benign and avoid the things that are more of a concern. But it does give people freedom of movement, and it also reinforces those themes, um, uh, which is, is very beneficial. So it sounds like we need to walk it back a little bit. I think I asked you a question to deal with what is an outcome. And I think the um, communication strategy might be the outcome of something. Uh, and we've talked before, and I think you mentioned also OPSEC and um, risk management. So it sounds like communication strategy is something that would come out of that. Um, what would you do to develop that product called a, a communication strategy? That's a really good question, and, and your assumption is, is actually correct in this case. Uh, what we do is we, we uh, take a look at uh, the materials that are already produced. First and foremost is the class guide. The class guide tells you what is and is not available to be publicly disclosed, i.e. if it's classified, you don't get to publicly disclose that. And so the first thing we'll look at is the class guide. What's out of bounds? What's on the, the, the left and right limit side? How do we structure that? Then we'll also look at, um, in some class guides, when we build class guides for programs, we actually will include any export controlled information that relates. So um, the class guide becomes kind of a one-stop shop, but you can't disclose export controlled technical information to a foreign national. In the United States, that's a deemed export, and people don't understand that. If I went to a conference in New York City and started talking technical details with foreign national, that's technically an export control violation. I don't ever have to send a box somewhere outside the confines of the United States. So we'll look at what's classified, we'll look at what's export controlled, and then we'll talk to the program about what they have seen to be you know, critical as an enabler. And, and a lot of times in... Um, the Department of Defense, these are, are things that are as critical information from an offset perspective or critical program information from a program protection, technology protection perspective. And some programs have looked at that um, and have been able to identify what was the main hurdle that they had to overcome through engineering, science, research, materials, analysis, etc., integration, manufacturing. And what was that, that one or two or three things that they overcame, irrespective of classification, that really they want to hold back? If you're talking to a company, they would call that their trade secret. Mm -hmm. The thing that gives them their true competitive advantage. It's not a, a org chart with a bunch of phone numbers on. It's truly detailed information. That we would include in the comm strategy as well, relative to the left and right limits. Um, and that's, that's what we would do. We would take that corpus of information that's available that helps guide us from export control, which is a criminal violation, just like classification is a criminal violation, and then on to um, the stuff the program or, or organizations identify itself as not wanting to disclose their quote, critical information. And we'll use that, we'll construct the left and right limits, then we'll construct the messages and themes, and then we will develop um, standard questions and answers that uh, are tailored to that program. So yeah, it's, it's very much leveraging 
the things that uh, the traditional security environment deals with. Is this something, this skill that you're talking about, um, is this something you find that um, in general defense contractors actually put into practice or you think it's something that should be practiced it's a innate ability or learned behavior it's, I, I would say that it's learned behavior yeah I, I agree I think it's learned and I think it's learned because people have gotten bit um, the, the people who are, are, are very um, responsive to this are people who've experienced it firsthand. I would say that most organizations don't think about it. Um, they've got a public affairs office. Their job of note is to put information out. They don't always look at it from what is the consequence of this information. And if they do, they'll butt it up against a class guy. But as we've talked about, bark, fetch, and wag, aren't classified, whereas the term dog is. So to them, it may be fully compliant, uh, but have an issue. The, the other thing is we find a lot of, uh, especially companies, will look at things from a, a reactive perspective. If this information gets out, we will respond. Through litigation, primarily, we will use legal means. The downside there is uh, if someone releases information or steals it or whatnot, it's too late. The cat's out of the bag. And if they're actually being paid for or being, uh, you know, uh, worked by a foreign entity, good luck trying to tell country X or Y that you're going to sue them. It just right. <laughs> so yeah, it's one behavior. It, it, it's something that everyone should know. And, and let me put it to you this way, Jeff. If if I ask you what's your favorite ice cream flavor, what would you say? Probably pralines and cream. Pralines and cream. Oh, Terry, yeah. what's your favorite color? Chocolate. Oh, I'm sorry. Color blue. Blue. What's your favorite ice cream flavor? Chocolate. Jeff, what's the pin to your ATM card? Mm. See, it's innate in each of us to know implicitly what immediately corresponds to risk at an individual level. The difficulty is when we get into an organizational mindset, we start to assume other people are doing that task. We start to break down and think it's someone else's job. And at that point, what we would naturally have the hair on the back of our neck stand up, we we may ignore, we may dismiss, we may not even think about because it's part of a bigger entity. And that's why I think it's gotta be learned behavior. It's, it's, it's there for everyone to implicitly draw on, but for whatever reason, organizational psychology or whatnot, they don't. Yeah, I agree. I think um, it seems like right now things are centralized and somebody think may, as you stated, think it's somebody else's duty to protect information. But if you decentralize it, I see the benefit of imagine I'm a cleared employee working on a program um, and I'm working unclassified information, but it might be sensitive, um, you know, and I could use your principles that you're talking about to determine, you know, where do I want to store that on my network? Um, can somebody tunnel in and get it? Can somebody exfiltrate well, it? Even more so if you're working on something that is maybe just sensitive and not classified. That's it. Because you, it, when you work in a classified environment, you're used to knowing what what you can and can't do. When you're working with maybe just sensitive information, if you don't know your boundaries, 
Well, and, mm. and two things there, what, what Terry's bringing up is, is really good. The NISPOM governs classified information. I mean, it's prescriptive in nature. This is how you handle it. There's no guidance for sensitive information for FOU or for even export control. They'll, they'll come up with terms like you have to protect it with correspondence, uh, blah, blah, blah. And they throw some legal terms in that I can't pronounce. But it doesn't give you a how-to. It doesn't tell you what to do with that. And think about it this way, especially talking about the networks. You're trying to do due diligence, you put it on there, but how many times have we heard of hacks going on at, at different military programs? Mm -hmm. Of unclassified networks. Right. But yet, when the results are out, excluding the, the individuals that did it, but the results of what was compromised, that analysis is classified. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to the compilation issue. We always talk about classified by compilation, but seldom do we sit there in a class guide and say, okay, let's take an aspect and, well, let's just take armor, uh, armor integration. Okay, the armor integration aspect, that's secret. But what does that mean? Is it material analysis? Is it a specific bonding technique? So you can look at that, and if you don't break it down to the different piece parts, you may have five things that are totally unclassified, but when you put those five things that are unclassified on the table or on that network drive, they equate to that classified data. That's the biggest problem we're having now with our networks. And uh, it's something that can be overcome fairly quickly uh, once you explain to people how to, how to start approaching it. Excellent. Yeah, and uh, um, I imagine that if somebody does understand <clears throat> that something may be classified co by compilation, um, I hear a lot, okay, uh, organizing these files together, they might be classified. But I just don't know what it is or if it is even classified. What would you recommend um, a, a contractor do if they suspect something may be classified by compilation, but they don't have any guidance? Well, if it's if they suspect it's classified by compilation, that they should really look at how do I pull this information off. I mean, if they mm -hmm. truly have a strong feeling that yes, it is, how do I pull it off and then treat it as such? But that's easy to say, very difficult to do. Mm -hmm. So what we talk to programs about is, can you identify one or two key pieces of information that relates to that? And, and segregate it. So think of like a recipe for baking cookies. You need butter, you need sugar, you need flour, you need chocolate chips because everyone loves chocolate chip cookies. What are the things that if you took out, you couldn't get cookies? You could get a gooey mess, but maybe not a cookie. And if you can pull those out, separate those, segregate those, password protect those, encrypt those at rest using fairly simplistic means, Microsoft Office for, for or Adobe or whatnot. But if you can do that and segregate that, then if someone can come in and get the other pieces parts, they still can't make cookies. That right. They don't have all the components to the recipe. And so what we tell people is do first things first. Identify who actually needs access to that information. Not everyone needs to know how to make cookies. Everyone needs to know how to eat cookies. But not everyone needs to know how to make them. So identify, like uh, KFC's 11 herbs and, and uh, uh, spices, yeah. Who actually needs access to that? Tightly control that. And then if it is in one place, figure out how to obfuscate that. So maybe you add an additional, I don't know, 15 additional ingredients. So someone comes in, they're looking at, I don't know, 26 ingredients. Which one's the real ingredients and what are the proportions? Obfuscation is a simple thing they can do. The other thing is by separating out two or three key ingredients and leaving them out of the recipe. You can do 
a lot of that through your networks and through your files already, but the first step is figuring out who needs access and then how do I pull back the key parts of that. Well, good. Thank you for that. Um, just makes my mind spin at how many things that we can do that we just don't know how to do or how to apply things. And so appreciate you breaking that down for us. Um, can we shift topics a little bit to, to um, security clearances? Sure. Oh, man. So, um, Terry, are you the FSO or is Joe the FSO? Or do you appoint him? Well, we're a two-man office. I'm the FSO and Joe's the assistant FSO. Wow. So you have um, two... Two persons running everything, including the security duties. Yeah, and so for those of us who um, may desire to one day have our own company, and I get a lot of emails from people like, "Hey Jeff, I want to get a clearance. How do I do that?" Um, what is the first step to getting a clearance? Well, to get your security clearance, I, I don't know. I have the perception that people think they see that there's all these uh, jobs out there that require a security clearance. So, hey, I'll just I'll get a security clearance and then I can apply for these jobs. And it doesn't work that way. You have to get the job that requires a clearance and then uh, then you, you uh, go through the steps to get the clearance. And just like a facility. So say you're going to start up your own company and... For a facility clearance, you don't say, okay, I've got a company, I want to get cleared to do business. You've got to win a contract or be a subcontractor that requires access to classified, and, and then you can get sponsored and go through that. But the first step is to get work that requires access to that. That's, yeah. it, it's cart for the horse. Yeah, right. For a lot of people. Yeah, I get asked a lot, um, hey, I want to work on classified contracts. How do I get my clearance? Um, I, I said, well, it's the other way around. You, you you get the classified contract first. And I tell, a lot of people are surprised that they can bid on classified contracts without a clearance in place. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. Um, and and I, I think once they start to see that that process kicks in and, and it, it's a fairly well-oiled machine. I mean, there, there are some hiccups that can take time. But I, Jeff, last I heard, there's, what, tens of thousands of of clear defense contractors in the United States. I mean, yes. You know the number? Yeah. It, the last time I checked is about 12,000, but that was a couple of years ago. Yeah. So uh, it doesn't, I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot. So if, if you bid on a classified contract, then they can get you to be a clear facility. Mm -hmm. that, that, that can happen. That's yeah. a very good point. And um, in your process, and, and just speaking from you alone, what was the surprisingly easiest part about getting a clearance? Was it paperwork? Was it actually getting sponsored? Or was it the whole process itself? Well, you got the faci our facility clearance. You did the work on that. Well, yeah, we, it was easy for us because we, we literally were told, uh, a prime contractor came to us and said, you know, we've been told we really should bring you on to help out with this. And so um, that happened. And because that happened, um, the prime contractor uh, sponsored us for facility clearance and did the paperwork. And I'm going to tell you, um, the lady who's the FSO at that facility, I don't know if I'm supposed to say, but she has been absolutely fantastic. She is answers all of our questions because, again, we have we're, a lot of questions. It's lot. just the two of us. <laughs> and we're not, and we're not, 
you know, security people 24 seven. We, we do a whole bunch of other things from accounting to supporting the customers, to taking the trash out, all that other stuff. Uh, but well, she was fantastic. Three weeks out of the month. So yeah, security is a, you know, for us is a small, small part of our job. So I think being an FSO at a, at a large company where that's what you do all day, every day, right? you're going to be, I think a lot more, um, Maybe knowledgeable is not the right word, but you're maybe better at it than the yeah. two of us. That uh, way more experience. Yeah, experience. And, and for you sure. know, speaking of that, real quick, I'll say this, and then I'll be done. Um, the the people that are working at DSS at DMDC for Gate Pass and all that other stuff. They're absolutely fantastic. And I know in this day and age, we like to send emails or, or text or tweet or do whatever, but they have people that are at the phones. And Just every phone call away. Seriously, every time we have called them and asked for help, we have never been disappointed. So that's the thing I would tell anyone who's getting into this. Don't hesitate to reach out to the experts. They want to help. And we have never had them not help us, ever. Sometimes I think we amuse them. <laughs> <laughs> some of our, some of our they a good are, chuckle, yeah. yeah they, they, they like that. Just, that helps their day. But yeah, they're they're awesome. DSS, uh, the guys there, they're not out to get you or to you know ding you or uh, they're there to to help you. They want you to be successful. They want your company to succeed. So um, yeah, you can always contact uh, those guys and. and They'll point you in the right direction. Maybe the help you need. Well, excellent. Well, I appreciate your time in explaining um, some very good things about how to protect your classified and unclassified information, including OPSEC principles and what is that communication strategy? And the other word I can't say, obfuscation or something like that. Anyway, we'll spell it out. Um, you'll see the article that accompanies this. Um, and so we appreciate you both being here. And if you need to get in contact or would like to ask further questions to Joe and Terry, you can email me at editor at redbikepublishing.com and I'll make sure they get that. Any parting thoughts or words other than goodbye? Yeah. No, Thanks for, for having us. Yeah, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for joining DOD Secure, the podcast that talks about security clearances and protecting classified information according to the NISPOM. For more information, visit us at dodsecure.com or email us at editor at redbikepublishing.com. We would again like to thank our sponsors, securityclearancedefenselawyer.com and Security First and Associates at www.securityfirstassociates.com